I want you to remember or imagine the most magnificent natural wonder that you've ever seen. Maybe it was on a trip to the mountains somewhere or driving over a hill and seeing the bell and forest screen, or maybe it was a trip to the ocean or something like that. But you can imagine that scene in your head or maybe multiple of those scenes and remember how creation proclaims God's handiwork and how it is amazing to visualize, to see the magnificence and the power of God. And also realize this, that when you come to church here and you see things, you see the candles lit, you see the water on the baby's head and you see the colors of the vestments and the pyramids, that you see so many magnificent, godly things. You see the faces of friends. And you know that what is here is real. You know that it's not some sort of joke or some sort of figment of your imagination. And think about the reading that you've done in the scriptures opening up your Bibles and studying God's word to you. How amazing of a gift that is. So think about all of those things that you can see with your eyes and then imagine being blind and not seeing any of those things. Not only can you not see the wonders of the world that proclaim God's handiwork, You can't see the things in this church. You can't see the faces of your friends. You can't even study the scriptures on your own unless someone makes a Braille Bible or something like that or reads to you. Not only can you not see any of those things, but you also have to deal with the fact that God allowed this tragedy to happen to you. And that causes anger and all sorts of other emotions. And so when we come across a blind man begging on the side of the road in the gospel, it is honestly a surprise. I think maybe we're so used to the idea of Jesus healing the blind and the lame and proclaiming the gospel into dark Places that it doesn't surprise us when we read it, but it really is in the text, and I think in the minds of the disciples, a surprise. That someone that is blind like that, nothing against him personally, but someone that has experienced such things and has not experienced things that we all take for granted, would be so incredibly faithful, would recognize Jesus not only for being able to heal him, not only for being a nice guy who actually took the time to stop and talk to the homeless guy, but recognize him as the very son of David, the one who could not just heal him, but have mercy on him. And that man, that faithful, unexpected blind man, is contrasted here with the disciples. If anyone we would expect 
to not be a surprise, to be faithful, it would be the disciples. The disciples were the ones who Jesus called specifically to be the twelve. They were the ones who had gone at this point in Luke time and time again away with Jesus for him to teach them. And even here, specifically here, he takes the twelve aside and says to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. He tells them exactly what the game plan is. All right, team, here's the plan. We're going to go to Jerusalem and all the things written by the prophets, everything in the Old Testament, it's going to be fulfilled in what I'm about to do. And I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. And I'm going to die. And three days later, after they scourge me and kill me, I'm going to rise again. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. And that's a surprise. Because you would think that they should and could and would very much understand as the disciples such things. But they don't. And so the blind man, the unexpected man, is faithful while the disciples are confused. It's much like what happened in the Old Testament reading as well. When Samuel goes to find the king to anoint, he expects it to be the strong, strapping Abinadab or maybe one of the other brothers. And instead, it is lowly David, the one outtending the sheep, totally, outrageously unexpected. So much so that Jesse did not even bring him as a possibility. And so, sometimes faith is unexpected. Sometimes faith is found and faith alone is found in places that are unexpected. We, of course, confess that faith alone is all that it takes to be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We say that all the time. And we also, of course, confess that the blood of Jesus atones for the sins of the world. That anyone in the whole world, any human being who comes to faith in Jesus, has the gift of the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus. We confess these things. Of course, we confess that it should be possible for anyone, no matter who they are, what they look like, no matter what their outward appearance is, to have faith. But we can very much be like the disciples and like Samuel and like Jesse, and we can very much assume that certain people are probably going to be more faithful than others. And we can also be likewise surprised when we are wrong. No matter how much we confess faith alone and objective justification, we still have in our own minds an idea of what a good Christian will look like, of what someone who is likely to have faith will look like. For us, maybe it's not a blind man begging on the side of the road. I think we've actually done a pretty good job in the last 
couple thousand years as the church of establishing ministries for the blind. And there's some Braille, Lutheran Braille workers materials on the desk in the secretary's office if you want to see something like that. But let's not pretend like we don't also still have our own ideas of what good, faithful Christians will likely look like. I think one is age. Age has always been a perennial problem with thinking about the faithful in the church. This happens in the gospel reading that we read for the baptism, the little children. And by the way, that's actually also in Luke 18, a little bit earlier on in the chapter. It happens that when the little children, the baby children, the word there in the Greek for the little children is the infants, the babies, when they come to Jesus, when they're brought to Jesus, the disciples rebuke them. Maybe they cried too much. Maybe they didn't want them making noise in the divine service or something like that. And they said, you know, get out of here. You're causing too much trouble. And Jesus had to rebuke them. Let the little children come to me. And Peter had to say in his sermon at Pentecost, be baptized every one of you. For the forgiveness of your sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift is for you and your children, by the way. Maybe he knew that the church might get confused on that later on in the future. I don't know. And still today, of course, many churches don't baptize infants like we did today. But we as Lutherans, I don't think, should get on our high horse about being better with understanding infant faith than others, we've also struggled with this as well. We have also in the past, as a church, considered the children maybe to be lesser Christians until they can graduate confirmation. Or maybe they shouldn't come to the adult Bible class until they graduate high school or something like that. But even if it's not age, there are other things when we look at people where we think, oh, yeah, they're probably a good, faithful Christian. And we kind of assume that certain types of people will make more faithful, better Christians than others. And in general, I think the rule is this, is that you tend to think that people who are like you will make the better Christians. Right? So if you're a really creative, artistic person, you think, yeah, other people who are really creative and artistic, they really understand the mystery of the faith. Or if you're a really analytical and logical person, you think, yeah, those other people who are also kind of analytical and logical, they really understand the doctrine of the church and the system of faith. Or if you have a lesser income, if you're a little bit poorer, you think that, Well, wealthier people, they're too focused on money to be a good Christian. After all, Jesus said it's more likely for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle and all of that. Or if maybe you're a wealthier person, you think poor people are too focused on themselves and too humiliated to be able to really attend church and be faithful Christians. Or if you're middle class, you think, 
well, I'm good because I'm right in the middle. And middle class people, they're common sense people who understand the faith because they're not too humiliated and they're not too rich. So we can all be good middle class Christians together. Whatever it is, when you look at other people and you start to think who's more likely or who's a better Christian, more likely to be faithful, then we have started to judge the outward appearance and not the inward like God does. What the blind man shows us is that even in unexpected cases, it is simply this, faith alone. Alone. Not faith plus outward characteristics Not faith plus a certain income, not faith plus a certain age or a certain maturity or a certain cognitive understanding of things. Faith alone. We don't know how the blind man heard the message of good news. But Jesus promised All things written by the prophets would be accomplished. And when the blind man saw, unironically, with the eyes of faith, Jesus of Nazareth, he knew that that was true. He knew that that man was the son of David who could have mercy on him. And he was persistent. He had the faith to cry out over and over again, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Until the Lord would hear him and stop in his tracks and proclaim to him, your faith has, by the way, most English translations are terrible here, your faith has saved you. Not made you well, it's saved you. Faith alone saves, even in unexpected circumstances. And we saw that today with John. If you look at John over there in the corner, sleeping nicely now, probably happy I'm not throwing water on him anymore. You can see someone who maybe doesn't fit the standards of good, quote unquote, good Christianity. He can't read his Bible yet. He can't say the creed yet. He needs someone to confess the faith for him when he's baptized. He needs someone also to change his diapers. I'm well aware. He needs someone to drive him to church. And yet he has faith. And that faith alone has saved him. And that faith alone received and apprehended the gift of his baptism today. And the baptism also gave him faith. Baptism is great in that way. It's received by faith and yet also creates more faith. And so, even in this unlikely circumstance of an infant child, and we'll see this miracle again next week, praise the Lord, in a poor and lowly infant, faith alone saves. And so, like John who can trust in his father and his mother to care for him from the womb, even though he has no cognitive understanding of what's going on. 
Even though he's a poor and lowly infant, so can he also love and trust in his heavenly Father. And with that kind of infant faith, we also must cry to our heavenly Father. For that is the kind of faith, faith from the heart, infant faith, faith we cannot grasp, faith we cannot even able to see the wonders of the world, cannot visibly see with the best vision or with the best glasses. Only with the eyes of faith can we cry out to the Lord. It wasn't just John today or the blind man so many years ago that have unexpected faith. Look at the ragtag group of those disciples, Jewish fishermen, Gentile physicians, so on it goes. Look at the children who came to Jesus on that day. Look at Abraham, who was very rich, or Lazarus, who was very poor. Look at David, who was out tending the sheep. Look at all the saints. They're all the same. None of us, by worldly standards, should expect to just simply have faith and be good Christians. But the good news is preached. And the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gifts, and sanctified and kept us in the one true faith. And like John, you received that spirit in your baptism. So today, remember your baptism. And remember how Christ came to you totally unexpectedly, totally as a surprise. If he were to look at your outward appearance, but thank the Lord, he does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at your heart, and your heart has faith, which apprehends his gifts. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Amen.